Hi, church. Uh, today's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 20, 17 to 34, and you can see uh, that on page 846 of the Black Bibles. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's son, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right hand, right or left, is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rules, rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome if you're new. It's great to see you tonight. Um, as Curtis said, tonight's service is slightly different. We are having an extended time of open Thanksgiving where we look back on 2023 and share stories of how you've experienced God's goodness in your life. And it's been a, it's been a wonderful day. This is my sixth service. And just seeing and hearing stories of God's goodness has been so, so good for my soul. And I've loved preaching uh, Matthew's gospel this last term. It's been so great just to sit at the feet of Jesus and just hear him soothe our souls. And tonight, our, our, our topic is one of greatness. So I want you to think about greatness. How would you finish the sentence? Greatness is dot, dot, dot. So the world would say greatness is being successful. If you're successful at work, if you climb your career ladder, you are great. 
or they say success, uh, greatness is being popular, having thousands of followers on your social media accounts and, and being a somebody. Or greatness is being financially rich, you know, buying that house in the perfect suburb and buying a holiday house and going on your overseas holidays and you are great, you've made it. And the world would say that, that greatness is being known. You know, when someone mentions your name, they're like, oh, wow, you know them. Wow. That's how the world sees greatness, being a somebody, being successful. And my fear is that those concepts of greatness have begun to infiltrate God's church, sadly. And in the church today, greatness is often equated with being successful. Wow, your church is so successful. You must be a great pastor. Oh, you're a platform speaker at a conference. Oh, you've got podcasts that you've recorded. Oh, you've written a book. You must be great. And we think as Christians, if you're asked to lead, you're asked to lead a connect group, you're asked to lead worship, you're asked to lead something. Oh, wow, that feels good. I must be great. And in the church, we have greatness where you have positions and you have titles like reverend or right reverend or pastor. You think, oh, wow, they're great. And it's nonsense. That's how the world views greatness. But Jesus says greatness is not about being successful. Greatness is about being a servant. Jesus says greatness is not about being a somebody. Greatness is serving other people. And greatness is not about your accolades or your acknowledgments or your awards. Greatness is that posture where you just pour your life out to serve other people. That is true greatness. I confess I do love 80s and 90s worship music. And at our 8 a.m. service this morning, we sang a, sang a golden oldie. It's called The Servant King by Graham Kendrick. And remember that one? And the last verse is... In... <laughs> the last verse is amazing. Let, let us learn how to serve. Listen to these words. Let us learn how to serve. And in our lives enthrone him, enthrone Jesus. Each other's needs to prefer. For it's Christ that you are serving. That is true greatness. Learning how to enthrone Jesus, serve Jesus, and serve other people. So here's our big idea. This is what we're going to remember tonight. Greatness is suffering and serving like Jesus. Greatness is suffering and serving like Jesus. Let's start with the suffering bit. So pick up your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 20. And in verse 20, we meet a, a woman. She's called the mother of Zebedee's sons, or Mrs. Zebedee. And she comes to Jesus in verse 20 with her sons. So she brings James and John, that's her two sons. She brings them with her. And she kneels down in front of Jesus, and that's a posture of humility, a, a posture of adoration, a posture of dependency. And she asked Jesus a favor. And in verse 21, Jesus asked, what is it you want? Why have you come to me, she says. What do you want from me, says Jesus? Have you come to me for healing or for hope or for forgiveness or for friendship? What do you want from me? Do you want Provisions, you want protection. What do you want? 
And her response is, is outrageous. It's shocking. Look at it, verse 21. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Saying, Jesus, I want my sons to be famous. I want my boys to have positions of prominence in the church. One at your right and one at your left. Jesus, I want you to give my boys front row seats and royal box treatment. I want them to be great. It's an outrageous, shocking request. Now, she's not all bad. She recognizes that Jesus will be on his throne. She recognizes that Jesus has the, the rightful place on the throne. She recognizes his power, but it's a, it's a dreadful request. She's like those soccer mums. You ever met those soccer mums? Who think their kid's amazing. And they go to the coach and say, why haven't you made my son man of the match? Why, why is he not a striker? Why is he not shining? Let my son shine. That's what she's saying. Let my boys be amazing for you, Jesus. And when you read this, you've got to remember that James and John are there. So it's quite pathetic. They're hiding behind their mum. But they want to be great too. Not the greatest athlete, not the greatest CEO. They want to be the greatest Christian. Make me a wonderful Christian, they're saying. Now, it's okay to come to Jesus and say, I want to be a better Christian. That's okay, isn't it? To say to Jesus, you know, there, there are things in my life that are not honoring to you, so would you make me a better Christian? Would you make us more like Jesus? That's a good request. But this request is pride. It is arrogance. It's saying, I want to be famous. I want to be a somebody. I want books written about me. I want to speak at the conferences, and I want other people to say, wow, you know James, you know John? And Jesus says, verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know the implications of what you're asking. You don't know true greatness. You want to be great? I'll show you what greatness is. It's called suffering. Verse 22, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? When you see the word cup in the Bible, there are three different cups in the Bible. One is a cup of blessing. He's not talking about that. One is a cup of wrath. That's the cup that Jesus drank. Remember at the Last Supper, I mean, if it's possible, take this cup from me. So the cup of wrath is what Jesus took at Calvary on the cross when he, he drank that last drop of God's wrath, God's anger at our sins so that you don't have to deal with God's, sin, God's anger anymore. It's finished. He's not talking about that cup because Jesus drinks that cup. But the third cup in the Bible is a cup of suffering. And that's the cup that Jesus is talking about. Can you drink the cup of suffering that I am going to drink? He said, I'm going to suffer. He's just told you that in verses 17 to 19. For the third time, he's told them about his death. But they, don't, they just don't understand. They, they're expecting a conquering king, not a suffering servant. He's told them that he's going to be betrayed and abandoned and rejected by his closest friend. He, he's told them he's going to be deserted and lied about and wrongly accused. He's told them he's going to be mocked and flogged and whipped and physically tortured. And he's told them he's going to be crucified. And Jesus knew all about his suffering. But Jesus was willing to walk the path of suffering because that's the path to greatness. Does anyone here know where 
Mrs. Zebedee appears again in the Bible. She only appears twice. Once here. Anyone here know where Mrs. Zebedee appears again in the Bible? She's one of those women who are sitting at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're told that the mother of James and John was sat at the, the foot of the cross, caring for Jesus. And if you think about that, she is looking up to Jesus. But Jesus is not on his throne yet. He's, he's, on, the, he's on the cross. And there is someone at his right hand and someone at his left hand. But they're not on thrones, they're on crosses. And they're suffering. And Jesus is saying to her and to us, the way to your crown is through the cross. You can't wear a crown unless you bear the cross. You can't wear the crown unless you're willing to walk the path that Jesus walked. And the, the path that Jesus walked was one of suffering. And I know that we don't like suffering. We wouldn't choose suffering. We don't go looking for suffering. But suffering is normal. Uh, Psalm 119 says, It was good for me to be afflicted, so I might learn your decrees. Uh, James 1 says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know that those trials are, are maturing you in your faith and making you complete. Or, or Romans chapter 8 says, The normal path is groaning now and glory then. Not glory now, but groaning now and glory then. So suffering for being a Christian, suffering because of the stupid things that we do, suffering because of the broken world that we live in, we're not exempt from that. The suffering of poverty, loneliness, sickness, insecurity, or just standing up for Jesus is the normal Christian path. Uh, Tim Keller said that, G that Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not have to suffer. He suffered so when you suffer, you will know how to suffer well. So Jesus says to James and John, can you drink this cup? And they're so naive, they say, yeah, we can. And Jesus says, verse 23, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed suffer like I suffer. But to sit at my right or left, that's not for me to grant. That, that, that's God's job to decide who gets those places of prominence. You will indeed suffer, he says. And they did. James was the first Christian martyr killed by King Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12. And, and John lived a life of suffering, a long life, but a life of suffering. He was boiled in oil. He was ostracized. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was murdered. And that is true greatness, suffering for Jesus and suffering like Jesus. So when you are mocked or ridiculed for being a Christian, so was Jesus. When your so-called friends betray you, they did that to Jesus too. When you face injustice and deceit and lies and you choose to remain silent, that's how Jesus responded. When you are physically in pain, so was Jesus. When you're tired from serving, so was Jesus. And if you, if you know 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the apostle Paul is one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. But he was flogged, imprisoned, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, went without food and shelter and was cold and hungry and homeless. So our Savior says the way to the crown is the way of suffering. Let's think about serving like Jesus. Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
That's the attitude. That's the posture. Uh, J.C. Ross says, the, the world's idea of greatness is to rule. But Christian greatness consists in serving. In serving others and serving Jesus. Not, not the number of servers that you have, but the number of people that you serve. Let's go back to, to Matthew chapter 20, verse 24. But when the ten heard this, so the, the ten other disciples heard about James and John, they were indignant. They were super angry with the brothers. And the question is, were they horrified by the question that they asked about being great? Or were they horrified that they didn't get in first? Because deep down, we all want to be somebody's. And Jesus teaches an important lesson in verse 25. He says, this is what worldly greatness is like, and this is what Christian greatness is like. Verse 25, you know, you know what worldly greatness looks like. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And you know there are high officials exercise authority over them. You know that. You know what worldly greatness looks like. It's, it's about people lording it over other people with this posture of superiority and smugness and prestige and titles and minions. You, you know the world is about people exercising their authority and wielding their power and often bullying people and using their position to control other people and loving telling other people what to do and domineering and demeaning people and putting people down. That, that's worldly power. As I said before, sadly, sadly, I fear that is infiltrating God's church. In the global church, we have this horrible hierarchy where pastors think they are somebody's because they've got a title or a position. Or this sense of entitlement, like kind of like, do you know who I am? I, I studied at more college for four years, and I'm super special. But it happens here as, as well. Christians who think they're important because they've been asked to lead a connect group or asked to lead a worship or people who think they're somebody because people flock around them. Or people who are very good at telling other Christians what to do, to delegate to other people, but never get their own hands dirty. And celebrity pastors, they make want to vomit. Jesus says, not so with you, verse 26. Literally, it must not be like that with you, he says. You, church, you mustn't be like this, lording it over people. You mustn't use your power to put people down. You mustn't seek prestige. You, you mustn't promote yourself. You mustn't see yourself as a somebody. No, instead, verse 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. If you want to be great, be a servant and be a slave. If you want to be great, spend your entire life serving other people. That is true greatness. Lowering yourself, getting your hands dirty, putting the knees of others above your own knees, being humble, being sacrificial, just be like Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate example of servant-heartedness, isn't he? He came not to be served, but to serve, says the Bible. Let's think about it. He came not to be served, but to serve. If anybody had the right to lord it over other people, it was Jesus. If anybody could have exercised their power, it was Jesus. 
the Son of God, the exalted one, the all-powerful one. He, he could have demanded green rooms and red carpets and banquets, but he chose not to. He chose to serve. He served by stepping into this world in human flesh, taking on, on a form of a servant. And as he walked on this earth, he, he didn't lord it over people. He was compassionate. He was kind. He, he wasn't aloof. He got amongst the people, and he cared. And then he walked to the cross, the ultimate service, paying the ransom to give his life as a ransom for many. That He paid the price to bring us back to God. That's what Jesus did. His posture was one of serving other people, not to be served, but to serve. And I'm pleading with the church to take on that posture of a servant. How do you do that? It starts with the right attitude to yourself. Nobody here is a somebody. Everybody here is a sinner saved by grace. Nobody here is more important. We're all equal in God's sight. And the closer you stay to the cross of Christ, the, the, the more that you walk by grace day by day by day, the more likely you are to serve other people. I say, if you're in leadership here at the Bridge Church, you're a shepherd. And shepherds actually are more concerned for the sheep than they are themselves. And would you pray that we never have any hint of celebrity status in this church? We're, we're not celebrities, we're, we're servants. And as a servant, you're called to, to serve other people. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other people. So a servant will see people as people, not projects. A, a servant will, will not see someone and say, what can they do for me, but what can I do for them? And they'll have compassion and empathy and they'll spend time with you. When I say time, I, I don't mean that you book an appointment for 45 minutes like a doctor. You actually sit and you listen and you care. And you think, what are their needs? And if it puts you out, that's okay because I'm here to serve. And you care for the least and you care for the lost and you don't just dismiss people because they're not that important. And Timothy was like that. Paul says in Philippians 2, I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Everyone else looks out for, the, for their own interests. But you know that Timothy has proved himself faithful. So when you go through life thinking about other people's needs, and it's not about being seen, it's not, wow, look at me serving. It's You want to serve so that Jesus gets the glory. You want to serve so that Jesus is increasing, you decrease. You want to serve so on the last day, Jesus says the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is true greatness. Serving like Jesus and suffering like Jesus. So as I close tonight, it is so beautiful. Th th think, of, think of the person in your life who has served you sacrificially. The, the person in your life, just, just think of one person who has poured out their life for you. They, they were there for you. They cared for you. They put your needs above their needs. It may be a parent. Maybe a sibling. Maybe a friend. Maybe a pastor. Now, here's the question. That person who poured themselves out for you, do you view them less because they spent their life serving? 
or do you esteem them because they just sacrifice so much for you and serve you? Because if I said to you, do you want to be successful or a servant, which would you choose? Do you want to be a somebody or a servant of your Savior? Because that is true greatness. Let me pray. I'm going to pray a prayer, which is actually a poem. It's called, I Am Like James and John. It's really a confession for the times that we haven't served. I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me. How they can further my program, feed my ego and satisfy my needs. I exploit people, ostensibly for your sake, but really for my sake. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors. Lord, forgive me. Create in me a new heart that is more like Jesus and like James and John. Lord, we are here as your servant, so take us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name.